All right, guys, let's go ahead and get everything started. We've got a number of people already on the panel uh, ready to go ahead and share some stories. So just wanted to say, hey, everybody, this is Kurt Cabana, and welcome to this week's episode of Pursuit for Purpose. Uh, thank you to everybody who's joining live here today. Thank you to all that will listen to the recording. You guys, I'm beyond blessed and grateful for all the continued support, and I hope that you continue to get something positive to use in your life out of these chats that we're having. Just for the new people, uh, Pursuit for Purpose brings the world's most passionate athletes and coaches together in a collaborative environment just like this to encourage our goals and aspirations. By using the teachings and the principles of the greatest minds before us, we're going to give our athletes the foundations to build the rest of their lives and become champions of character. This week, the number one thing that we want to accomplish is to give people a voice. We will be joined by several amazing ambassadors of the game of baseball who will share with us some of the coaches that have made the biggest impact in their lives. A few of those amazing people are Alan Jager, Walter Bede, and Brian Eisenberg, and also Craig Giannino's here, and we've got a, a lot of awesome coaches that are going to be jumping in with us. Then we encourage you to request to speak. Share your story of a coach that has made a positive impact in your life. Introduce yourself. Tell us where you play or where you played or your current organization you coach with. Tell us who the coach is that made a difference and tell us why. In part two of our discussion, after everyone has had a chance to share their stories, Alan Jager, founder of Jager Sports, has blessed us with volunteering his time to provide a Q&A on all things mental game and throwing. Send us any questions to either one of us in our DMs to answer them, or you know you can request to speak yourself and, and ask the question straight to Alan or to anybody else that you might have a question for. We should be starting to get going with something around that time, probably 8.30, 8.45. It just depends on how... Uh, how our sharing our coaching stories goes. We're not going to put really a, a hard timeline on it, but I would imagine uh, nine o'clock at the latest before we get into something like that. So with, uh, with that being said, uh, you know, I want to go ahead and, and get this thing started off and um, let's start it with, uh, with Brian. Uh, Brian, do you want to go ahead and start things off for us and uh, share it with us an impactful uh, coach that's made a difference in your life? Sure. Um... I mean, I've had plenty of coaches throughout my life, but I'm but I'm gonna kind of reference more to, to my son Sammy, who unfortunately couldn't be here. So he's not he's not feeling great. But we've been around some amazing coaches over the years. You know, he's a, a 16 year old athlete. Um, some of some of the world's best known Catholic coaches. I'm not gonna name names tonight. But I'll tell you the one. There's, there's two things that have stood out between um, those coaches. Number one, it's a, a respect and a mastery for communication skills. Um, I think that's that's a, that's a critical one. Um, it's, it's having the respect for the person they're, they're coaching, uh, respect for where they want to achieve, uh, what their objectives are, uh, you know, respect for being able to be open for the feedback um, um, from that person as well, even if it's not working perfectly. Obviously, there has to be trust there. Um, and very clear about what a successful outcome would look like. But the second one, and I think this is one that um, especially a lot of younger coaches struggle with, um, is accountability. Is if you're dealing with an athlete who says they're committed and they want to achieve X, and you can't find a way to help him stay accountable to their goals, and, and I'll share with you one story um, that happened to Sammy, which, is, which was usually impactful. He, uh, when he first got started on his freshman basketball team, and he had been working out at the gym for was it, three, four years before that, and just the, the whole new routine of waking up in the morning, going to basketball practice, you know, going, you know, at school all day, running and driving to the new facility. He started to slack off a little bit. He wasn't taking his reps as seriously. He's still putting in the work, but it wasn't as focused and as accurate as, as he needed to be. And uh, the coach there had a, had a talk with him and basically told him, go away for a bit and prove that you're committed and then come back. And uh, exactly what he did, he took everything to the next level, and, and you know a little bit about what what's happened in the last few years. But it's that holding him accountable to saying what he wanted to achieve, and knowing that, and then know and being so aware of where he was at, and, and trying to address it with him 
respectfully and then made him to prove himself to come back to that next level. That's awesome that Sammy's gotten to have those experiences of being around people that have made that kind of impact in his, his life. Uh, you know, how does that feel, uh, you know, just following up from a Sammy perspective, how does that feel as a father getting to have, uh, getting to know that he's been around those kind of people and kind of been guided in the right way? You know, it's interesting in the facility that he works with, um, you know, not only are some, you know, professional baseball players, you know, all the way from, you know, to single, uh, you know, single A to, to MLB pros, but there have also been Olympians in there. And I mean, I remember, you know, having this discussion with the coach and, and, and with Sammy when, you know, he was younger, and we talked about the difference between these guys. I said, you know, baseball players, they're athletes. But when you look at the way that these Olympians train, like every, every movement was so precise, was so perfect. Like they, they couldn't afford to miss anything because you're talking about, you know, like, you know, we can miss it with a baseball by inches and still have success, right? Um, in, 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 you know, in a sprint, if you're a, a hair off, it's a difference between placing for a medal and not, right? And the fact that these coaches took the time to make him understand that difference, even that early on in, in, in his training age, so that when they were able to address this issue, and I don't know if they were aware that something like this could happen. You know, obviously kids get burned out, stuff like that. And he was just taking on new challenges. For me, it was great because I, it, it would allowed me to see that, hey, you know what? We're not going to tolerate less than perfection from you because, A, they see more in you and they can't want it more than you do. Um, and it's something, you know, Walter and I had numerous conversations about. Um, you know, as we wrote up or committed, as we talked about, you know, his two kids and the difference, it's like, you can't push, they, you know, the, the kids got to pull, the kids got to want it more than everybody. And they were able to hold him accountable, push him out for a while. He realized how much he really missed being in there and he did everything possible to come back. And since then, um, you know, he's not even been in, you know, the next year, he's been like three years up from that. So. I think it's been, the, you know, absolutely the best thing. But you know, it, it, it requires that trust from all parties, right? Not not only him and, and the coach, but also for obviously from the parent. And I think that's such a, a critical component to this. That's awesome to hear, Brian. And uh, just so everybody knows, you know, Brian Eisenberg sharing uh, some awesome wisdom with us from both sides of perspectives of uh, not only his son, but from his own experiences as well too. And uh, I really enjoyed what you had to say about you know that the kid has to want it the most themselves because it's kind of that old quote of you can lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink so i i really feel like that uh that touches on that knowledge of of where the, the kid can has to be the one to walk through the door it doesn't matter what coach you surround them by there has to be some intrinsic motivation from the individual that wants to get the most out of themselves and isn't just there for anybody else's purposes but their own and, and wanting to see themselves become the best version of themselves do you have anything else that you want to add brian oh i'll let some of the other great speakers uh share their stories i've got plenty more if we need <laughs> awesome, Brian. I appreciate it. Well, uh, I wanted to let uh, Alan Jager uh, jump in here and share a little bit with us, uh, if you don't mind. Alan, how about you jump in for us? Looks like Alan might not quite be with us. Uh, how about Craig? Craig Giannino, uh, you got anything that you'd like to share? Hey, Kurt. What's up, bud? What's up, everybody? It's great to be on the call, and just want to say thanks to to Kurt for all you're doing. Sorry about that, Craig. I must have pressed the unmute button when I was just trying to say thank you. Appreciate appreciate that. I uh, appreciate you saying anything kind about what's going on. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can. It looks like it's my fault uh, pressing the unmute button, the mute everybody button. It's right next to the speaker and my fat fingers are messing it up. Oh, no, no, all good. I think Alan, I think Alan might be here though.
Well, maybe Alan, you here? No, okay. I'll I'll uh, I'll just continue. But Kirk, I just wanted to say thanks again man, for everything you're doing. And uh, yeah, I, I uh, whew, Brian, great story. As a father, it's got to be pretty inspiring to see uh, see what see the development of your son. Um, that's, that's, that's great stuff. Um, I'll just share a story, uh, go back to high school. I was a below average player. So, uh, I just wanted to play. I just wanted to compete. I just wanted an opportunity. Wasn't very, I wasn't really encouraged out of high school. I went to school in a, in, in San Francisco. Um, didn't really, uh, have much opportunity outside of high school. I got out of high school. I took a whole year off. Didn't even play baseball and then uh, continued. Uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta figure it out. And so I went to a junior college in Northern California. Uh, we were four and 28. I was a left-handed pitcher again, below average, but I uh, played against this, uh, this team across the Bay, the college of Marin who had a hall of fame coach over there and got an opportunity to pitch that day and pitched really well. And game ended and this, this coach came over to me and just said, Hey, Lefty, great job against us. Love your competitiveness. Would love, would love uh, the opportunity to coach you. If every, if if something doesn't work out, let us know. And uh, it was that moment right there where I was like, wow, this this guy really believes in me. Sees something in me that I never saw in myself. And so, long story short, season ended. I transferred over to the College of Marin to play for Al Endress who is a Hall of Fame coach, as I said. Uh, but the, I don't know if Butch Bacalaw is on here. But I don't think he is, but he, he, he sent out a tweet earlier today about uh, Sac City. And uh, this was a defining moment for me. And really, really uh, what helped me become a man was he told me I was getting the ball against Sac City. It was on a Saturday. And uh, I happened to not make – a very good decision the night before I didn't really socially sacrifice the night before and uh showed up the morning to get to the yard and, and get on the road to go to Sac City and and our pitching coach saw the state of mind that I was in which wasn't great and just said you're gonna ride in the van with me and I want you to sleep the whole way to Sac City and I did and and uh get to Sac City, I'm warming up, I got the sweats, I'm, I didn't sleep, uh, you know, I made some poor decisions the night before, and uh, I get through the first inning, it was a labor first inning, I get to the second inning, uh, walk a guy, guy hits a two-run home run over that rooftop in left field at Sac City, and and um, our head coach, Al Andrews at the time, says that he, he comes out to the mound, he just absolutely rips me, and uh, and I deserved it, and I wore it, and and I didn't get out of the third inning. I don't think. I think it was about the third, and then whatever the game continued on. We ended up losing four to one, and uh, game ends. We go down the left field line. We get the the old post game talk, and then we're we're sort of getting ready to go back to the vans and head back. And he says, "Hey, uh, G, come here." And he makes me stay, and he says, "Listen," he says. The three B's in this game don't mix. I'm like, what is he talking about? The three B's. The three B's do not, they, they just don't go well together. And uh, I said, well, I don't understand, coach. He says, listen, I've been around it a long time. He says, booze, broads, and baseball, they don't mix. And, and you definitely uh, were, were affected by one of them, two of them, or maybe all three of them. Uh, and the moral of the story is that if you want to be great in this game, um, you got to stay committed and disciplined. And I wasn't very disciplined. I made mistakes. I did learn from those mistakes, um, but he really has, uh, he really helped me uh, learn to become a man and take ownership and, and become accountable for my actions as Brian alluded to around the accountability piece. Um, that's just one short story. Um, I, I hope you guys uh, can relate or I hope it resonated, but Kurt, I'll let, I'll let it go at that.
Craig, really appreciate you sharing that with us big time. And and look, you know, those three Bs definitely are something that people need to be aware of. And uh, the fact that they don't mix, especially when we're trying to talk about getting the most out of ourselves as athletes, you know, we, the worst thing is seeing these kids that have all the talent in the world, not chop their own legs off because they think that things that'll be there all through life are going to be more important at that present time. So I think it's important to bring that uh, to the forefront of, especially with trying to reach the youth that look, it's, it's not about, (laughs) if you're looking to reach your goals, it's not going to be about being cool. It's going to be about, putting in the work that separates you from your competition, let everybody else do those little things that's going to keep them from getting to where they need to be. And if you stay on the, on the path to your own success, you know, it's not going to be, it's, you're not going to get there by, by cutting your own legs off. That's for sure. No doubt. You know, that, that ever since that moment, uh, I realized what sacrifice really means and we can say what we want, um, and a lot of our players do, and a lot of our, a lot of me as me as a coach, say what I want, but sometimes I'm I'm a I'm a hypocrite, right? I don't act on what I want, and my actions don't reflect what I want in my decision making, and the same goes for the players at times. And so, just try to learn and try to continue to get better and learn from all the mistakes I've made through my my playing, teaching, mentoring, leading, coaching career, and just try to continue to get better. And you're doing some fantastic things over there at the University of San Francisco with your player development. I mean, I've gotten a chance to be fortunate enough to see some of the plans and and see what you're doing with those kids. And uh, I can't imagine the the positive impact that you're making as a coach. And you'll probably be getting some of these kind of conversations later in the day on uh, later as you go on through your career and, and still keep growing of what you did for these people as as a person more than you ever did even as a baseball coach. No, I, you know, I appreciate that, Kirk. And I would say this, you know, I'm really passionate about team development, uh, really human development, uh, people development. And what I'm learning and continue to learn um, because I'm a slow learner and I'm a late bloomer, I guess, is that, man, it's, it's a, it's 24 seven. It just never ends when, when we're dealing with personalities and human behaviors and the psychology of, personality and that's what fascinates me more than anything i mean the game and the, and the x's and o's and the, and the physical skills is is wonderful uh, but i'm looking for anybody on this call to help me understand how to measure the, the intangibles and how to measure the human element because uh i'm continuing to try to to solve that and uh, that's a work in progress every single day and Every, you know, and Kirk, you said it, right? You said, he says, you know, we're doing some wonderful things at USF and, and, and I believe we are, but at the same time, I also say that like, it's a, it is effort and work and diligence and persistence and, and it's nonstop 24 seven. And, you know, I guess that's, uh, that's the beauty of, of this ongoing process that never ends. I guess I've come to the realization that we're all unfinished products individually and as teams. And we're just trying to sort of refine that as we go day to day. That's beautiful, Craig, beautiful. And and I think, especially with what you're doing and, and seeking that bubble that you're trying to burst and continuously trying to, to grow that side of the game, you're going to, you're going to do what you're doing now and then get to another point and see farther and, and look back and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was shortchanging those kids on not doing this particular thing that you're now doing with this group that could make all the difference. Yep. Thanks, Kurt. I, I, I want to keep talking. I don't want to take away. You know, guys, there's so <laughs> many good guys on this call. I want to hear from everybody else. Absolutely. Now, my pleasure, Craig, and I'll probably be coming back to you as well to uh, to ask you about some, uh, just sharing maybe an Augie story that you might have. But let's bring up uh, Alan Jacob next and uh, see what um, impactful coach story uh, you might have, Alan. All right. Can you hear me? Can hear you. You can. Is that a yes? Yes, I can. Okay. Um, first of all, thanks for doing this, Kirk. And um, 
hello to everybody out there and uh, it's just always great to be in a in a community with people that are are just so growth oriented craig always appreciate your input brian as well and uh i think i'm going to be relatively brief since um i'll get a chance to talk a little bit later on more about you know with some q a stuff but i think in short when i really thought about this question i really thought about my dad because my dad epitomized work ethic um he epitomized discipline um it's funny i i always tell people i'm a reps guy I, I used to come home from school and shoot baskets for three hours a day until my neighbor told me they were eating dinner and i needed to go away because the backboard was banging on their kitchen um i, I could hit against the, the wall and play tennis for hours I, I i just get lost in reps i'm just a reps guy and maybe that's why i just love this whole idea of being so process oriented um you know, or you always hear me use the, 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 the line, you become what you practice from Dr. Shana Shapiro, if anybody follows us here. So I think I would say that my dad just, um, and it wasn't so much that he had to say as much, but he was a great model. And I think there's something to be said about that as well. Um, but I think there's too many coaches to name. I mean, I've been so lucky. I look, I think of my high school coach, real, learned a lot of discipline from him. My junior college coach, my first one, really learned about um, what it feels like to want to go through a wall to win. My coach at Northridge, uh, compassion and the ability to go into his office when I was going through a very difficult time and for him to just have an open door policy and be a, a listener um, at a time that maybe it wasn't so common for, you know, for men or coaches, male figures to <laughs> You know, to maybe I shouldn't shouldn't project that. I don't really know if that's a fact, but it just feels like you know things have obviously changed in the last 10, 20 years with that. But I, I think that maybe I'll leave it on this note. I, I would say that um, reps work. There, there's just I love the line about you know it's the people that are doing the work when no one is watching. I, that thing is it's like a mystical con concept that you really are doing the work because you love it and because you want to find out how great you can be at whatever you're working on. It could be badminton. It could be ground balls. Um, it could be your move to first. It doesn't matter. You're trying to, someone mentioned earlier, I think it was Brian about the Olympians. You know, you're trying to become the greatest or the best or whatever term works for you at your craft. And your craft is just not hitting or pitching if you're in baseball. It is endless. It's stretching. It's, do you want to run the bases better? I mean, I'm not saying that everybody can steal bases you know, or everybody is a flyer, but why not work on your secondary lead? Why not, why not do little things to figure out if you can steal more bases? That makes you more valuable as a player. It gives you a better chance to get a scholarship. Shout out for the book committed. So anyway, again, I don't want to get long-winded. Like Craig said, I, I think this is more about Let's give everybody else a chance to to share their stories, and I'm uh, we're all learners on this, and we're it, everybody has something that's going to inspire us. So um, I think I'll leave it at that. Um, I, I have a lot to thank for for my dad, and I and I will say one last thing. I was on the phone with a coach just before this, and it's amazing how everybody in your life is always a teacher. The person in the grocery line next to you. There is something there if you're present. So I'll leave it on that note. Thanks for doing this, Kirk. And I'll be quiet now and I'll look forward to the, the second part. Alan, appreciate it a hundred percent. And you're so right in, a, in what you're talking about with it just being, you know, your craft and how special baseball is that there are so many different areas that you can use to improve yourself in, in that it helps take you out of slumps in other areas. If you put your work in and your time in, in the other areas, it's going to bring the other things that you might be deficient in along or make you a separate athlete from somebody else who lacks those things. There's a lot of different areas to pour yourself into. And, and you just even saying stretching, running the bases. I mean, things that so many people these days overlook, especially within the, uh, the kind of, not culture, but just a lot of the showcase events of different things of where it's all just about numbers. 
Now, those are the things that make you a separator as a competitor and as an athlete. So I, I really appreciate you bringing that stuff to light. Thanks. And you know what? I will say one other quick last thing because I didn't even mention it, which is so ironic, but the mental game, which we'll get into later, but it's the greatest upside and the least tapped in to field. <laughs> and so you talk about work ethic. It's, it's just they're waiting for every athlete and every sport, every human being has an opportunity to get quote unquote better at whether it's being more relaxed, more clear minded, more free, you know, less stressed, less tense, less in the future, less in the past. And um, it is amazing when you think about it and it's free having a mental practice uh, or learning about mental practice is free. So we'll, we'll hopefully get a chance to hammer that later. So again, thanks for having me on and, uh, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll turn my mic off now. No problem at all. And uh, I want to bring up next uh, Walter. Walter, um, yeah, again, you know, Brian and Walter are part of the mentors of baseball. And if you guys somehow or not, I, I wouldn't know how you <laughs> I wouldn't know how you'd be on mine without being on theirs. But these guys are bringing in just amazing knowledge and ambassadors of the game of baseball, helping it move forward. And as Alan had said, you know, they've uh, recently put out a book committed. I recommend you guys get it. I've got mine. I'll put up my review here sooner than later. And I uh, just wanted to bring in Walter for a chance to speak as well, too, and share maybe some impactful coach stories that you might have. Thank you. I just wanted, can you hear me okay? Because I'm just driving home in 12 degree weather from doing a lesson. So I want to make sure you can hear me. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you. Appreciate it, Walter. If you want to send some warmth from the West Coast, I'd be greatly appreciative of uh, some warmer weather that would help us a little bit get to baseball season. So, you know, on this topic, it's pretty near and dear to uh, my heart. Uh, you, know, you mentioned the book Committed and, you know, doing a dedication. <clears throat> I, I've got to be kind of reflecting back and, you know, I, it came down to four, uh, you know, men in my life two of which are my sons, one of which was my dad. And the other was a, a baseball coach that I had when I was 13 through 15. And in, in Massachusetts, they had a junior little league, which was the next step above uh, major league 12-year-olds. Uh, and I stunk. I've said this in the past, and people think I'm kidding, but I was probably the 12th man on a 12th man little league, 12-man little league team. Um, and I grew up in a neighborhood that was ultra competitive, um, you know, and, my, and I didn't start playing organized baseball until I was 10. Um, and, you know, as I was a 10, 11 and 12 year old, I wouldn't say anybody really took a keen interest in my playing ability. But as a 13 year old, I found myself with this gentleman by the name of Jim Curtin, who was uh, the Wyoming Dodgers head coach. And. The one thing that stuck, about, stuck out about Jim that I carried into my college coaching career, he was very thorough about interacting with each player on the team. Not, not so much just accolades, but getting to know them, getting to know their likes, dislikes, you know, kind of what made them tick. And with regard to the sport of baseball, he's the first person that taught me about the word flush, meaning everything that happened before is, is, is no, of no help. You learn from it, take what you need from it, but flush it. And, you know, as we we're talking a combination of coaching and, and the mental mindset and development of players, you know, for many young players, you know, the, the flush component and worried about the next and being prepared for the next um, is somewhat challenging to, to be able to, to kind of develop that, that habit of being present. Uh, and the other aspect of Jim was he made me understand that how I was as, as an athlete at 10, 11, and 12 was not really going to be indicative of who I could become and utilizing Alan's uh, words reps, his famous saying to us was always repetition leads to retention. And I never forgot that saying. And whether we were doing wall ball or uh, the pitchbacks back in the day or taking a broomstick and hitting acorns, you know, repetitions equal retention. So in his mindset was always to us, you're swinging a, a bat, a wiffle ball bat, a baseball bat, a broomstick, you're swinging. And so your body is figuring out 
how to swing efficiently, effectively, and aggressively, and so forth. And when we were throwing, uh, and, and this goes back to 1976, 77, 78, his whole thing was throwing with a purpose, throwing with intent, but playing catch, you know, on a regular basis was going to make you a better athlete. So the emphasis was always repetitions equal retention, but he had a genuine concern with who we are, who we were as, as young children. And he would introduce us to people like Johnny Pesky and Tony Cligniaro, you know, who were members of the Red Sox organization, uh, but they were local to us. And it, it kind of brought the sense of, hey, if you work hard, you could be where we are type of uh, environment. And we weren't the best team, but we were always 10 and 10 or 12 and 12 or something like that. But his confidence, his positivity, his ability to communicate with each and every player on our team. And we had some pretty quiet, introvert type personalities, but, but he would always make them smile, make them laugh, get them engaged in every practice. So as a college coach, I kind of tried to take that mindset was to know my 35 guys, know where they were at in life, how their studies were going, you know, how their families were going. Um, and that's what kind of led me to, you know, send my son off to a coach like Tim Corbin because he, those are some of his strongest attributes. Uh, and I really felt that there would be some synergy with how, you know, I grew up within the game and how Tim would be able to, in a similar capacity, you know, relay that to my son. Uh, so that's my, my biggest takeaway is kind of understanding that, you know, within a two hour time frame, you can only do so much, but after you walk away from practice, you know, whatever you can do through repetitions, of the most natural, you know, simple, you know, broomstick and acorns, uh, you know, doing those types of things, throwing snowballs at cans on a, on a, on a stump, uh, you know, just, just kind of ways to keep your body active in the throwing and hitting dynamic. And, and Jim really brought that to the light for me as a younger uh, baseball player. So that's kind of my takeaway from that. And I really uh, am grateful that you, uh, took the time to extend an opportunity for me to speak. It's a, it's a pleasure being here tonight. No, it's, it's all my pleasure and, and everybody's pleasure, I'm sure, to be able to get a chance to have you share some of your wisdom. And, you know, you talk about swinging a, swinging a bat and hitting acorns. Uh, I know it's not quite the same level, but, man, I laugh at myself and what, because at the time I just thought it was normal. I just loved playing sports and loved being outside but my parents make fun of me because I would simulate a nine inning baseball game in the front yard by myself. Uh, you know, I'd be throwing a, throwing a tennis ball against the, uh, against the steps. And there happened to be a natural gap that almost represented the strike zone. And if I got it in between then, it was a strike. If it bounced off the bottom, it was a ground ball. And sometimes it pops up. I mean, you could just go through a, a full game. And uh, the thing that made me have to get better at accuracy was a, uh, well, we had a screen door and dad wasn't too happy if I was pounding the screen door. And so it was, uh, it was fun real fast to have to, to get better. So I appreciate you uh, sharing those little, um, you know, words of wisdom on, on rent that we can get anywhere. Well, I think you bring up a good point, Kirk, with regard to the imagination and the mind of a child is much different than an adult. And what we sometimes deal with as, you know, with the structured environment of travel ball and, and the younger the younger leagues, the imagination of a, of a eight through twelve year old, you know, imagining they're in a World Series, those are the things that carry a lot of young children into their teens and into their older playing days, and it's good to allow that to flourish and to be nurtured and let them think about nine innings at Fenway Park in our case, being in Boston, or being Collier Stremsky or Fred Lynn and making a diving catch, you know, and it's that lie for the 10 through, you know, 14-year-olds. I think that's an intricate part of, you know, the sport of baseball, and, I, and sometimes we lose sight of that as we you know, as the kids get older and, and make their way through different levels. Walter, I appreciate you sharing that, that wisdom uh, again, and, you know, just really that clear separation of, of, a, of 
children to adults and where, hey, our imagination didn't start turning on once we all of a sudden got good. You, you kind of get good because you believed you could become good at a certain point. And it was because you fostered that competitive nature inside yourself, that visualization inside yourself, you know, going back to even Alan with any kind of mindfulness, kids probably practice mindfulness and visualization more than adults in some respect, because they get a chance to see these people in front of them and get a chance to dream and believe that if they could do it, I could do it. And they're, they don't have as much weight on their shoulders of the different responsibilities that start to take away what you know gets fostered in your heart as you build towards these different things so i appreciate you bringing that up uh, big time um and just wanted to mention to uh to everybody as we're getting closer towards uh having a couple of more coaches and a player share if you wanted to share anything about what a coach has done for you uh please feel free to make a request and you'd be more than welcome to come in and, and share uh, a little bit of what you got on your heart and if you have any questions towards uh, any side of the mental game, uh, feel free to DM me or feel free to request a chance to speak. And I'll let you on there once we start um, getting in towards conversations with with Alan. And uh, next, I wanted to bring up uh, Adam and a Adam, go ahead and, uh, you know, bring yourself in. Give us a little bit of an intro of yourself and, uh, you know, a little bit about who you are, uh, you know, where you're coaching, maybe where you've played and, um, and just a little bit about the coach that's made the biggest impact in your life. Can you hear me? We can hear you. All right, sweet. Um, I'm Adam Kowalski. I'm the assistant coach at Harper Community College in Palatine, Illinois. Um, previously have been at division three and division two levels, um, both COVID years. So that was a interesting experience to start off my coaching career. Uh, this is my third year in coaching college baseball. Um, so it's been quite the, uh, been quite the, uh, experience so far <laughs> dealing with COVID and everything. Um, my playing career I've played at, I graduated from Buffalo Grove high school in Buffalo Grove, Illinois, uh, suburban Chicago born in, or I was, I grew up and raised there. Um, Went to North Park University right out of high school. Um, was one of those kids that found out very quickly. I was a very small fish in a big lake um, in terms of where I was athletically, physically, um, even academically. Um, and I found myself, I guess, I hate the word term washout, but I did wash out of Division Three baseball within three semesters. And I ended up transferring to uh, Harper Community College. I took a year sabbatical away from baseball, um, kind of rethink some things. Was really a low point in my life, but I was able to try out the very next year, um, played for Harper Community College. So everything's coming full circle all of a sudden. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and then I, transferred to Indiana Tech, um, played there for three years, and even got to uh, go to Lewiston, Idaho for the NEI World Series. So quite the experience uh, I've gotten to have in my, uh, in my college career. Um, uh, so few coaches that have made the biggest impact in my life. I'll, I'll try to keep this relatively short. But first one for sure, um, my high school head coach, Jeff Gribbish. Um, he was also my English teacher for a couple of years while I was there. And going into my junior high school, we, I was on the, uh, var, or I had played for him a few games at the, at, at the uh, sophomore level. Uh, I was called up to varsity for extra arms and whatnot bench stepped all that fun stuff um didn't get to play but was part of varsity for a bit then got the opportunity to play with him uh for him uh going in my junior year and senior high schools um and going into my junior high school i was in a relatively low place in my life um really was so i i really was more of an outcast than really anything um 
personally. So, but Coach Grimish, he took it upon himself to, you know, help escort me to games while I was getting my driver's license and whatnot. He did help out tremendously. And it was during those car rides to local high schools and high schools a little bit further away where we really grew our relationship. And to this day, I couldn't have been more thankful for that relationship. Um, he's, he really, he's my rock, essentially. He's a guy I look to for advice. He's a guy I look to for really anything. He's always going to be number one on my, you know, job reference list. He's always going to be a guy I can just talk to on a regular basis. He is the guy that I trust with my life. And that was kind of like the seed that was planted into why I wanted to go into coaching. I wanted to be just like him. Um, along the way, I had learned some very harsh lessons in accountability and um, integrity. Um, very grateful for those. Couldn't have – those, those lessons really did – help kind of redirect my trajectory in terms of what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be, and what kind of person I wanted to be uh, as I grew up. And my junior college coach, grateful for him. Um, you know, he gave me a shot when most other coaches would just be like, oh, you're, you're out of baseball. Yeah, whatever. Like, no. I end up, you know, I end up having a great season. And next thing I know, I'm on to Indiana Tech. Great coaching staff, um, which is where I'll talk about my next uh, impactful coach, uh, Pat Collins Bride. He was the assistant at Indiana Tech. He was the strength and conditioning coach um, for all 16 teams at that school. So he wore many hats and <laughs> he was a busy man. But um, I just remember my first year, I was on JV. I wasn't getting much innings. I was just like, all right, I'm probably just going to end up being one of those roster fillers types, you know, just kind of there for, just kind of there for the JV team maybe even get some innings of varsity, but for the most part, it was just kind of like, all right, I'm just another arm. And I remember something he had said that previous fall, like, he's like, Hey, if anyone needs like a personal program, if they want to work out over the summer, Hey, I'm free. Like let's work out. And I took him up on that. And little did I know over the next of over the next two years, I would see personally the biggest jumps I ever saw in my life. I mean, I was, in, I was like, maybe, uh, I was like a high seven, slow eights arm on a good day. Um, after my first year, I was mid eights, top and high eights. And by the end, it was almost like I had made another jump, high eights, top and low nines. It was like, what? I'm on something here. Like what? And this is a guy who challenged me physically. He challenged me spiritually. He challenged me whenever he could, but I couldn't have been more grateful to have him and the entire coaching staff, you know, as, as, you know, part, part of my experience there, you know, um, very grateful for them. Again, guys, I look to for guidance as I go through my coaching career, as I go through my growing pains uh, as a young coach, and guys, I can look to for resources or, you know, all that, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm extremely grateful for um, those guys. And it really helped me get my first uh, paid assistant job uh, last year with um, Northland College Division Three up in Upper Wisconsin. And again, another learning experience. And now we're back where we're, now we're back where we started square one and honestly I couldn't be happier where we're at right now really excited for the season three weeks away from first pitch and it's just so crazy to think that 
six years ago. It, it was just, you know, Harper College is just some, you know, low-level Division three JUCO. And now it's like all of a sudden now I couldn't have been more – I am really excited for what we have building here. And hopefully I'm here for a little while. Adam, really appreciate you sharing your heart with us, man. And really sounds like you've been blessed to be around some people that have shaped yourself and and poured into you. And and you're doing such a good work to to take everything that they put into you and put it back into others. Really thought that was impactful to hear, especially from the high school coach standpoint of where it kind of all started. That's where the roots grew, and and where you knew that you know you gotta. You got to give it back to to what's been given to you, and then you know bet on yourself a couple of different times. So it's awesome to hear that you got a chance to to go through that stuff, and and now get to pour back into others, and rooting for you guys over there at your at your school as well too. So uh, continue built being a built part of the change, and hopefully you'll be getting the, those same messages that you're giving out to these other guys, uh, you know, in a few years. Uh, Hunter, uh, I, I wanted to go to you. You've been jumped. Uh, you've been in here since the beginning, and appreciate you being on. And and uh, somebody that's an active player right now, and uh, it definitely excited to hear from from guys that are actively playing and it, having the chance to be that close to their coaches that they have right now or just had had. Uh, so please, Hunter, go ahead and introduce yourself, and feel free to uh, share a little bit about um, what uh, coaches have made an impact on you, man. Hey, uh, so right now I'm currently enrolled at Ottawa University. I go to Kansas. I'm a second baseman. Um, so there's actually been two coaches that have actually impacted my life. I'm going to start with uh, my head coach, Coach Grinder. Uh, he's actually made a really big impact to this program that I'm at right now. But as someone who looks up to someone who personally, like, has like, I don't know what the wording for it is, but he's taught me how to actually like be held accountable and everything else and like kind of learn from my own mistakes and kind of always be there for other people who need uh, help in general. But I'm gonna go on to my other coach, Coach Caden. Uh, sadly, he passed away. I've been working with this coach for maybe the past four or five years. And without him, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Um, I am grateful for what he's done for me. Uh, he was, he taught me how to hold myself accountable and he taught me how to persevere through a lot. And by a lot, I mean, he was always there for me. I, if I needed someone to talk to in tougher times, he would be there. And if I wanted to go out, clear my mind on the field, he'd be like, all right, let's go, come on. Uh, and to not have kind of like a father figure in my life uh, to always be there for me, uh, it, it kind of felt great to kind of look up to him as someone who's just a little bit older than me. He, uh, he was 27 and he was always able to relate to me. He played at the JUCO level in Arizona, then he played at the D2 level in North Carolina. And with him, it's just, he taught me how to kind of just be a little bit more of a confident player. I was never always like the confident player I am today. I, and like everyone else has said, um, it's kind of also more than a mental game. And me being like, uh, forgot who it was, but I also grew up as kind of the not so talented uh, and the not so big player. I always got the word from every single coach going, sorry, but you're too, you're too small. You need to grow more size. Uh, you're just not the type of player that we're looking for because of your, well, like your size. And my coach taught me how to properly kind of overlook those and still kind of push through to kind of to show everyone that I can persevere and I, I can make it to the next level if I want to.
200 yeah. sharing that with us, man, a big time. And I actually, I had the pleasure of having uh, your catcher, uh, one of your catchers, uh, Dylan Miller, on my uh, summer league team a couple of years ago. So it was cool to see an Ottawa guy in, in here as well, too. Um, but uh, uh, next, I wanted to bring up uh, Paul. Uh, Paul, can you go ahead and uh, un unmute yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, yourself and, and what some coaches have uh, done to make an impact in your life? Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me, Kirk. Uh, love listening to all these stories, guys. Uh, I'm a high school coach, coached a bunch of sports. hundred years ago, I played college golf and uh, was in the world of travel softball with both my girls. They're, they're both ending their college careers now. Uh, but a lot of similarities with, with golf and, and softball slash baseball is that you're always trying to chase something you can't perfect, right? You're you can perfect an at-bat, you can perfect a swing, you can perfect a, maybe a day or an entire golf hole, but boy, long-term, you're just trying to sustain and, and appreciate your wins when they happen. And uh, my first coach that uh, meant a lot to me was way back in eighth grade when I was trying out for the high school golf team. Uh, didn't make it. Worked all summer. I was supposed to make it. Uh, had a bad tryout. I mean, that, that's all I was doing at that age, just playing golf every day. And the weekend, it was the worst weekend of my life because I got cut from the, the, the golf team. Like, that's what I was supposed to go do. And I'll never forget the coach brought me in Monday and said, you know, you got cut. Numbers don't lie, but we still want you to practice with the team all year. Uh, I've offered that to kids in the past, and they never want to do that because they don't want to go to practice every day and not have a chance to play in any matches. Uh, what do you want to do? I said, well, yeah, I'd love to play. Uh, just want to be around the guys all the time. And so I took him up on that. He believed in me and the rest is history, you know, as a starter next year and went on to play college and had a super brief stint on some mini tours down in Florida after that. And it, I always look back that if, if you don't have that first coach that believes in you, when you're really pouring your heart and soul into something, you just wonder what'll happen. Now, maybe you'll go on, uh, you know, there's so much that comes from within, but, but as a, as a young man, an eighth grader at the time, it was so awesome to have someone believe in me and, and, and give me a chance to be around. So, so I, 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 I love him for that. <clears throat> My college golf coach, on the other hand, when you get to that level, just like with any sport, sometimes you take yourself too seriously and you, you stop having fun. Uh, you have excuses, you're playing bad. Uh, mentally you're you're tired maybe physically you're tired when we would get talking about bad breaks or this or that or things that were going wrong he used to look at us me in particular I remember and my college coach would always say are you trying to tell me you're better than I think you are and it, it we'd get laughing because sometimes you know we always put ourselves on a higher pedestal than maybe others view us and uh, we take ourselves too seriously so I went from the, the guy in high school that believed in me to my college coach that would just pick on us if he thought we were taking ourselves too seriously. So uh, those were great. And then the, the third coach, uh, both my girls, when they were teenagers, it was like the 14-year range where travel sports, I know baseball is the same way, where travel softball gets to be pretty insane and crazy. Uh, he would get on them like the rest of the co coaches, but he, he used to say something to the players and the team that, it meant a lot to them, myself, and to this day, my, my girls still talk about it, is he might get on them, he might be, uh, might yell, might, might be too hard on them, but at the end of the day, he says, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, because I love you, and and if I don't if I don't give you this honesty, and if I don't tell you like it is, and if I don't have high expectations for you, I'm not loving you as a coach, and I'm doing you a disservice, and they took that with them right through their college careers. So those are just my three stories. Hope I didn't ramble too much. I appreciate you having me on, Kurt. Absolutely, Paul. I appreciate everything that you're doing. And and I know it might not be anything directly related to the baseball world, but guys, you guys got to know that that Paul is doing a service to, to the young kids. He gets a chance to be around um, educating them in life. Uh, and when we talk about, you know, mental skills or character or, you know, development and these other, you know, stable core values paul's doing the real work and helping these kids understand finances helping them understand the real world of life that you know 
we need to learn that things that we were not taught in school. And I love his little tag of, you know, the teacher that you wish that you had. And uh, I definitely from, from seeing the things that he's doing, wish that uh, I, I had any concept of what real life was outside of school. So Paul, please keep me fighting the good fight and helping these kids uh, have a fighting chance, uh, you know, when they get a chance to start becoming adults. Thanks, Kurt. Love what you're doing as well. And uh, I look forward to listening to the rest of this. Thank you. Appreciate it. Definitely. And uh, we're going to go to our, our last speaker for uh, sharing some coach stories before we move into the, the mental side and uh, bring in Javi. Javi, do you want to share a little bit about um, you know yourself briefly? And, uh, I'm Kirk, how you doing, man? Can you guys hear me? We can hear you. Appreciate it, Javi. All right, bud. How you doing? Um, well, I think in in my in my long time of being on this earth and everything, I think one coach that actually made a huge impact was my uh, college coach at University of Louisiana Lafayette, um, Amrick Jagno. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, he came to our to our high school to do some kind of like pitching clinic and watch a couple of our guys do their thing. Um, our high school team at the time was actually ranked uh, 26 in the country. And that was back in 1987. So we had, we had a really good team back then. So um, the one thing that he told me was he saw me pitch through a bullpen. He goes, hey, when you're a senior, I'm going to come back and get you. And he was a recruiting coordinator for, um, back then it was University of Southwest Louisiana, but now it's ULL. And he did, as he said, he came and got me and I decided to become a raging Cajun. Well, he was a nice guy and everything when he talked to myself and my parents when he signed. But when I got into practice, he was the most militaristic coach I've ever encountered. The toughest coach I've ever had in my entire life um, made that big of an impact on me. Um, what he did was I'm not a big guy. I'm five foot 10. Back my freshman year in college, I was maybe 172 pounds. And I was the smallest guy on the team always. So he did what he could to push me to make sure that I was actually better than everybody else that I was there. And he pushed me. He, he beat the royal crap out of me when I was practicing and when I was playing. And the one instance, the one game my junior year that basically made, put my, put my name up on a draft, my head coach, uh, Coach Bollinger, he decided to say, you know, who, who, do, who do we want to start against this particular team? They were ranked fourth in the country at the time. And we were on the way to that to that game. And I heard him say in the front, I heard Coach Jagger say in the front, we have to pitch Javi. If there's somebody that's going to beat this team, it's going to be Javi. you got to pitch Javi. I don't care what Bell say, Javi, this is Javi's day. And I heard him clear his day. I'm like, what's going on here? So, and... I didn't realize that was that I was going to get the ball until I got there, and it was actually against LSU at Baton Rouge and at Alex Box Stadium against the number four Tigers. And the most intimidating thing about it was that when I got there, the very first inning, um, Coach Jagno said, "You're winning this game." And nine innings later. I actually went up throwing a complete game shutout, striking out 16 against LSU at Baton Rouge in front of Skip Bertman. And that's the day that I actually put my name on the scorebooks as far as being able to be drafted. And ever since then, that's why myself nowadays, I never give up on the guys that are smaller in stature because I know it takes, he, it took him to get me motivated to play at a high level to beat a team that was at such a higher level than our team ever was. And to me, that means so that meant so much more to me. May, may he rest in peace. He was a wonderful man. And he's the one that actually actually pushed me to become, to be a six, six lefty, a six, six lefty heart, but with a five ten body. And to me, there's no, there's no substitution for having a big heart, regardless of size on the mound because or size on the field. Because size on the, your size on the field doesn't matter. What matters is how much heart you have to play the game. And, and Coach and Coach Emrick Jagna was the one that taught me that. Let's go, Javi. I'm ready to run through a wall right now for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
That's uh, that's awesome. That's got to be a fun experience to hold dear to your heart. I mean, on top of yes, getting drafted and getting to go there, but getting to to pitch in that kind of game and and put up that kind of performance for yourself, and you know, bring to life uh, some of the feelings that others that had for you and that you knew that they knew lived within you, but you had to find a way to pull it out yourself. I think that's a think that's really powerful, and appreciate you sharing that perspective with us. No problem. I mean, it, it was a fun experience in front of twenty two thousand people. And of all people, out of, out of 22,000 screaming, drunk Cajuns that were there, I definitely heard my mother most clear out of all of them because she spoke Spanish and I could hear her little shrewdly voice telling me to strike the next one guy, the next guy out. And, you know, I did as my mother told me to. That's awesome, Javi. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate that. And I mean, that's that's a thing that we got to love as well, too, is that sometimes those biggest supporters that we have, you know, they really do pick themselves out of a crowd and, and they don't know just how much, uh, you know, their support can, can be and just how much the right support can do for, for an athlete these days as well, too. And instead of, uh, you know, criticizing, she just sounds like she wanted to be there to love on you. Most definitely. <laughs>